0: I called our, our attorney i said hey listen any precedence on a cat coming to a meeting and he's like keith what are you like a house cat i'm like no a 600 pound white siberian tiger cat <laughs> literally there was silence Jeff, get out and he said we didn't have this conversation and he he hangs up the phone so my my team is looking at me all defeated kind of their heads are down like oh this idea is over i'm like he didn't say no right he did not say no <laughs>
1: Welcome, everyone, to episode two of Interesting Humans. I'm Jeff Hopek, your show host today. I've been fortunate over the years to do some really cool stuff um, in my first 45 years. And along the way, I've met some really remarkable humans. These are folks from F-18 pilots, retired Secret Service agents, Olympic sports coaches and athletes, entrepreneurs with varying levels of success. And then you have today, just a guy who colors outside of the line, folks, and I mean it. Keith Wilmot, Coca-Cola, literally created a position for him, and I'm going to let him go into that. This is a fascinating show today, Um, multiple stories that are going to take us around the world, um, but it's my belief that they're going to truly inspire anybody, it doesn't matter where they are in life. So, Keith, thank you so much for being here today.
0: Awesome to be here.
1: So Keith and I go back a long, a, a, a pretty long time. Uh, we met through our church, through uh, Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Done a bunch of different business, social media projects together. Um, what fascinates me about this guy, um, and I mean truly fascinates, he's going to get into some stories today, folks. That uh, just when I thought I've pretty heard, pretty much heard them all, <laughs> Keith. Keith is going to take us for a wild ride today. So. Keith, um, why don't you start off by just unpacking, where are you at in life right now?
0: Yeah, no, it's my great stage of life. Um, Married my high school sweetheart, so we have four children and are now grown. I've got two married kids starting lives of their own, uh, a son who's recently graduating from... from University of Tennessee, and then a daughter we're sending off to college next year. So it's this really interesting stage of life where we've got grown children and it's now kind of what's next. And um, I read a book recently um, from strength to strength, phenomenal book, but it talked about, as you look at your career, where you want to end your career is in the space of wisdom, not as much action. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing now with the igniter group and the impact that we're making with companies and helping companies really Accelerate great culture to bigger ideas and innovation is just our sweet spot. And my sweet spot in life, it's, we'll, get, we'll unpack some of the stories of how we got there. Um, but it truly is a, a fascinating model. And we're finding that most organizations really struggle with culture. And people are the difference, ma- difference makers in business. And that's what we're really helping organizations uncover and then unleash.
1: Sure. So people are not widgets then
0: they're not only they're not only not widgets they are the competitive advantage that any organization has and and honestly you can you can unpack that across any sector of industry you look at teams like baseball was a fascinating story this year the Texas Rangers being in the world series you're talking about a culture club there if you compare their salaries compared to the New York Yankees and the New York Mets oh. the Rangers are paying probably almost half per win to what the Yankees and the Mets paid this year. That's incredible. And it's just about culture. Um, Culture drives success and performance. And if you hire the right people and then you get them working effectively together in a powerful way, that's when magic happens. And we're right in that space today with the Igniter Group and and the IP that we have and helping big organizations kind of uncover that and then unleash their people.
1: Okay, awesome. I can't wait to get into some of that stuff. So, all right, we get where you are now. Let's walk, go all the way back to early childhood. Who mm. are you? Who were you? Were you born? Get us up to maybe the college years. Yeah. I
0: appreciate that. Um, well, interestingly, we have, we have a uh, past that's kind of similar. We're, you know, from Pennsylvania and we, we kind of, you know, haunted some similar areas as, as, uh, as kids. And so we're from, I'm from Pennsylvania, um, grew up, I was an only child, uh, went to a, you know, normal, typical high school, played baseball for, uh, for my high school, uh, went to Temple University, um, as, as an undergrad, um, as I said, married my high school sweetheart. So I've had her at Jennifer in my life, um, you know, from the, from the start. And, um, honestly, the, the first real cool job that I got was in, uh, a, a concept called trade marketing. It was with the ocean, ocean spray cranberry company. Uh, I was young, out of college, and, and got this great job to go up to Massachusetts and help Ocean Spray figure out how to market to their uh, customers better. And then had a boss who um, just got behind me and promoted me a lot faster than I probably should have. <laughs> and um, just had a, a blast of, of different opportunities with, with that company and then moved on to Brock's Candies and Confections and then on to Pfizer Consumer Healthcare. Yeah. And then what got me here to Georgia is the Coca-Cola company. Right. Um, so I've had this r- privilege of being a part of some very recognizable brands across food and drug and and but ultimately you know brands that are meaningful for for consumers right something very
1: interesting you said um do so you talk about humility right mm-hmm. so on one of our last couple episodes a, a gentleman that sold his company for a couple billion dollars used the same phrase you did and now it's got me really really interested so you said i feel like i've been promoted a lot faster than I should have. And he said that happened in a couple companies in a row.
0: Mm-hmm. Explain that a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I can, I can literally remember the moment that I was offered a, uh, a regional sales manager role at ocean spray. I was 24 years old mm-hmm. and, um, had no sales leadership or management experience. And, um, my boss at the time, um, who was the national sales manager, literally said to me, you shouldn't be getting this job, but John, <laughs> but John Emerson, the VP, <laughs> thinks so highly of you that he's forcing it. And it was you know, a broker management organization across four different markets and hundreds of million dollars of revenue that I was responsible for and execution against. And I, I remember walking into the broker office, the lead broker office uh, the first day, and the guy looked at me and he's like, dude, how old are you? <laughs> I'm 24, but I'm a very potent 24. Uh, Yes. I I think, you know, sometimes with careers, you just, you have that mentor who sees something in you Mm. that um, you maybe not even be able to express yourself. Right. And man, that's what we try to help companies do today with Igniter too, is. Find those people in your organization that are just extra sparks. Yeah. And if you can promote them fast and faster than what you normally would see. Right. Um, you get tremendous things out of them. We, we have a mindset called um, infectious energy. It's one of our IP mindsets that we help organizations build inside their companies. Mm-hmm. And the story is a phenomenal story. Um, Bono, the U2 singer, <clears throat> when he would work with companies uh, with his red initiative, uh, he'd go to the CEO and he'd ask one question. Who's your Elvis? And what he meant by that was who's that person when they walk into a room, people just know they're there. And that's the type of people that he wanted to work with, with his initiatives. And we have a concept called infectious energy, which is about inspiring people with passion um, to get more initiatives done inside of an organization. So we'll, we'll help leaders really find that, that their personal brand and their infectious energy, and then unleash that on their teams and their organizations. That's
1: incredible.
0: Okay. So you mentioned mentor in the, in the first
1: 25 years of your life, let's say, does anybody stand out to you? mentor?
0: Uh, Yeah, no doubt. I mean, each company that I've had the privilege of working for, I've had specific people in, in those organizations that saw something in me, Mm -hmm. um, referenced a guy named John Emerson, um, and even more senior guy, Patrick McCarthy, who's now Who's now passed on, but um, just great leaders that saw something in me as a young leader, okay. and really ac- accelerated that. Uh, a guy named George Mullenix in um, Brock's uh, Confections. I had worked with him uh, as at an internship that I had, and he saw something in me, and that was what moved us down to Brock's and living in Chattanooga for a bunch of years, um, and then at Pfizer. Pfizer where, is where I was introduced to the concept in this new role in an organization called innovation. Mm-hmm. I had a uh, they, we had hired a guy named Jeff Semenchuk, who was the VP of, of innovation for Pfizer, and uh, we built just built a relationship. And you know, I wound up working for his team, and that's ultimately what got me down to Coca Cola as the VP of innovation for the company. Gotcha. That experience with Jeff, and Jeff just again, I think if you look back in your life, I don't. It doesn't matter if whether you're in an organization, whether you're in sports, whether you know whether you're just in terms of relationships, you, you find those people that mm-hmm. just see something different in you. Sure. And, you know, are, are when you look back on your story, they're, they're integral parts of where you are today. Right. We're going to get into that
1: Coke story, which is just so fascinating. And then the other stuff that, you know, your travel, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to stay back just in that first, that first couple decades, the first two decades. Um, so we have a good understanding now about business mm-hmm. school, et cetera. Tell me about Keith, I'm always mm. fascinated to know. What, what were you like? What were you like as a child? What did you play with? What did you do? Mm. What were some early
0: memories? Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I love the outdoors. Um, I've okay. always been a big, huge outdoor fan, fishing, hunting, you know, water skiing, barefooting, you know, I grew up on a Lake wall in Paul back and sure. spent a lot of time in and around water and in, and in the outdoors. So that that's core to who I am. I find a lot of rest and, and energy recharge when I'm outdoors doing outdoor type things. Um, I was always, uh, I was, I was an only child. So I learned the, um, ability to, um, stay, uh, engaged and focused without, you know, siblings. Um, sure. So there's a, I'm very comfortable being in an alone space, mm-hmm. but I also find a lot of energy when I'm with, with people. So I w I would, I'd probably teeter, you know, both, you know, on the, right on the kind of the middle spot of being an extrovert and an introvert. I, uh. I can play in both spaces. In fact, if you, if you, Give me any of the personality tests. If you tell me you want me to be an extrovert, I can be an extrovert. If you tell me, you know, I want to be an introvert. So That's incredible. Yeah. I don't, I don't take a lot of stock in those tests because I think they, you know, I don't, I don't think they effectively define people in the right way. Um always been hands-on. I've Mm -hmm. always been a very physical kind of hands-on type of learner and leader. I'm a, I'm more of a um, kinesthetic learner than I am an auditory or, or, um, you know, reading things or I like to kind of experience. And, and a lot of what we've designed for Igniter is to help leaders actually experience things. And I think that comes back from some of my childhood, um, Mm. and just knowing how to learn. Um, I've had, you know, I have two parents that are both alive today that are huge fans and believers in me. And I think that's a, that's a real, a real powerful thing, you know, cause not every child has that. Yeah. Um, they had parents that basically said, you could be whatever you want to be and do whatever yeah. you want to do. And we'll 100% support you. And uh, that's been a big driver of my success is, is, uh, is certainly their belief in me and the, the standard that they set for success. Yeah.
1: Okay. And then where, and how did you meet your, your, your bride? Jennifer.
0: Yeah. So it, uh, it, there's a lot of stories that go with that. Um. You know, we, we, it was an eighth grade dance that, that, <laughs> uh, that I actually asked her to dance and we danced Aww. the entire eighth grade, uh, you know, whatever dance that we were at. And then the, that next Monday I asked her out and she said, no, no, <laughs> What? yeah no doubt so i was it's been like you know i was like one of those pursuit things where i'm going to win this this battle right um yeah and then we started we started dating when we were in 11th grade okay uh, the beginning of 11th grade was it no
1: with an explanation no i just
0: i was kind of a dork in eighth grade so (laughs) like i I don't blame her for saying no i i i started to i started to you know fill out a little bit and become more athletic and a bit more attractive by the time i got into my high school years Uh, uh, my (laughs) middle my middle school i don't want to necessarily go back and relive yeah um no worries. Oh, yeah, no. So we started dating uh eleventh grade and honestly it's been a rocket ever since. Yeah. I mean, we're we've been married now thirty years and I still chase that little blondie all over the house. Right.
1: Which is such an incredible story that you mm-hmm. told me about. You wrote her you wrote her a book.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which of, is of our remarkable. Love story. Yeah. Which, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. Which is Unpack
1: that for take a minute.
0: Yeah, sure. I just, you know, we had this it was weird. I was on a flight back from London recently, and I had never seen The Notebook. I know it sounds crazy, but I'd never watched The Notebook, so I'm right. like, all right, it's on the flight. I'm going to watch this thing. So I watched it, and it was a great movie, and you know, certainly kind of a tearjerker. But um, what it just sparked in me was like, man, I I got a love story that rivals that. And wow. you know, I kind of just stole the idea. I'm like, man, I, like let me just sit down and just capture 30 year well, 37 years of life with this woman sure. who is. Been you know a part of who I am, and she's defined me. And I, th- I think most most leaders, um, and I know this might this may sound a little controversial, and everybody not may not agree with me on this, but most leaders, especially male leaders, um, when they have incredible brides, um, it just makes things so much easier for them to be incredible leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've have far too often in, in my in my career worked with people that that have marital strife. And it bleeds into the work, yeah. no matter what you're doing, whether you're, you know, whether you're, you know, a golfer, a baseball player. And I think as in, there's so many stories that they'll go with that. You find yourself a partner in life that, that, um, can go the distance. It, it's, it's super meaningful. Yeah.
1: Special. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. No worries. Wasn't planning on getting into that. Yeah, that's that's good. It, It's part of the Keith story though. Yeah, it really it's is. It's part of the Keith it, story. It truly really is. And it's fascinating. So, all right. The call comes in. The big call, mm-hmm. the 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 Coca Cola company.
0: Yeah, it was it was I vividly remember this. So we, um, I was working for Pfizer at the time, working for Jeff Semenchuk, my mentor that I had met, I mentioned, and uh, Pfizer had uh, just gone through a couple years of tremendous growth, the consumer healthcare business, and uh, Pfizer corporate had a decision that they had to make: they either you know keep the asset and continue to grow it and, and take the profit from it, or a brilliant time to sell it. And they wound up choosing the sale route and sold it to Johnson and Johnson for three and a half billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And you know, in transition work, a lot of people get you know moved out. You know, this and my my mentor had taken a job as the uh, chief innovation officer for Citigroup in uh, in Manhattan. And I was literally in a cab on the way to his office to get a deal going so that I'd work for him for city and a guy from Hydrogen struggles called and said, Hey, your name came across the wires and we've got this roll down at Coca-Cola that we think that you'd be a fit for. And, um, I, I just pulled in, you know, I pulled into Jeff and he said, you have to go like, I, you know, it's Coca-Cola, I <laughs> right? Mean, you've got to at least check it out. And, uh, I remember going, I remember literally landing in Atlanta and driving in the cab from the airport and I called Jennifer and I said, sweetie, I, I feel God's presence here. I think, I think he's calling us to Georgia. And that was like, I was speaking Chinese to Jennifer. Sure. She said, "He may be calling you to Georgia, but he's not calling <laughs> me to Georgia. Cause her, her parents lived an hour away. My parents had this brilliant lake home an hour away. Her best friend in life were were our neighbors, right. our kids were all intertwined our church was growing. We we're actually starting a new church, going into a building. Like there's like, there'd be the worst time for team Wilmot to pick up and leave. <laughs> sure. And, uh, so I go through the interview at Coke and honestly the job was above me. It, like there just, there was no reason why based on Mike's experience and background, they would put me in this role. And so I flew back kind of thinking, "Yeah, hey, that was fun. Great. Got to see the inside of Coca-Cola, but there's no way I'm going to get this job offer. Right. Literally the next day, the, the, uh, had Hunter called from from hydrogen and struggle and said, they love you. They're going to make you an offer tomorrow.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> and it was a great offer. And you know, it just, it was something that we really felt like God's hand in. Sure. And, uh, and Jennifer, you know, submitted to my leadership and she's like, you know, as much as is, it's crazy to think that we would move our family to a place that we have no friends, no family, no network, no nothing. Right. And we had, we had four young kids at the time <laughs> Wow. and, uh, she uh, she did, and man, have we been blessed so richly, right, with that bravery of moving down here? What yeah. year? What that year was two thousand and six. Yeah, <clears throat> okay. two thousand six.
1: So two thousand six. You accept the position
0: of what with Coca It was VP of ideas. Okay, which is you know a crazy <laughs> crazy role. Um, it, it, they actually Coke Coke had this uh, new technology that was called Idea And what IdeaNet was meant to do was take 850,000 system employees Mm -hmm. and almost become like the new technology of IdeaBox. So you could put an idea into this IdeaNet system and it somehow would be routed back to Mm -hmm. a team of people who could then execute ideas across the organization. And when you think about big assets like the Olympics and FIFA World Cup sponsorships, we could do mass ideation across a lot of people very quickly to get to bigger, better ideas for the company. Okay, What we learned really quick in my like first two or three weeks there was that it wasn't about the quality of ideas. It's not about systems and processes, it's about people. Mm-hmm. It was about the culture that was getting in the way of creativity, of further creativity, and really big thinking innovation that was going to drive kind of the next you know generation of growth and generation of drinkers for the Coca Cola Company. Right? Um, they used a process called Stage Gates. It's just a it's a tech, it's a technological technological and systemized process to manage innovation pipeline in an organization, and you know the pipeline was filled with packaging changes Mm -hmm. and product, you know, let's put cherry in it. Let's put lemon in it. Let's put lime in it. And literally ran, ran out of fruits. Um, and, uh, we systematically over the course of a bunch of years to did two things. One is change culture and got people to think differently about creativity, think differently about innovation, and then we also started to introduce a more democratized view of the innovation strategy of the organization meaning it's everyone's role it's not a functional role innovation isn't a mm. functional role in the department i don't care if you're an admin in the company if you're a bottler if you're the you know the president division president of a, of, of a division your inherent role is to innovate and we started to define creativity as you know doing things in new ways to achieve better results. Mm. And some of the, and the ideas that started to come out of that process and approach change were remarkable. And it you know there were finance and uh, innovation and some supply chain innovation, human resource capital innovation. So that's where the democratization of it really made an impact. Right.
1: C- give us an example of how that system works. So you mentioned like the FIFA World World FIFA Cup. World Cup FIFA yeah. World Cup. What would I type in? I'm curious. Yeah. So, you you know,
0: so we would, we would send out um, kind of like, you know, different types of challenges out through a technology like that. So we might say something like, Hey, listen, you know, we have our core asset FIFA and we've got a, you know, world cup coming up in two years, you know, give us some big ideas on how you think we could drive further engagement and further interaction with, Mm -hmm. um, with our consumer base. And you could be sitting at your office in China and you could literally type in, hey, I think it'd be really cool if Coke did X. And then we would take all that information, vet it, evaluate it, and start to put processes around it. The problem was that wasn't – the quality of the ideas were there the issue was the culture that you had to break through to get those ideas actually launched because you know someone sitting in China doesn't know all the politics that were involved in you know North America and right. both, you know it's just that's where it got really crazy so yeah. we we flipped this we flipped the script pretty quickly and we said listen we're going to start building capability inside the organization yeah. not just a better process yeah. now we still leverage the process and we still leverage the tools but we introduced a suite of six behaviors um and you know some mindsets and then a an approach Approach to applied creativity and innovation that started to change mindsets around how to get there. Right. I'm starting to get a really good feel
1: of how this culture thing, how this really came about just mm. for you as a person, as I hear you explain it and talk about it. I, I mean, I'm really starting to get a, get, like I'm getting, it's running through my mm-hmm. veins now.
0: Yeah. It's I incredible. Mean, and and, and the, the cool thing is we, I have seen the life change of, of, you know, interaction with, you know, our igniter process and our approach. Um, you know, now what we're doing now, um, Coke at the time, um, saw so much value in what we created. Um, we branded it, we called it igniter at Mm Coca-Cola. Um, and I I vividly remember the day that we made the decision to brand the logo igniter as non Coca-Cola. Because what, what Coke did is they offered it as they offered us up to McDonald's and Yum! Brands and all of their global customers as this kind of internal added value consultancy Mm. that was, you know, pro bono work for our, for our clients and our customers. Um, But then we would work with those, those, uh, those brands, which, amazingly you know paid out for me today which i was able to get the get the asset back and launched the company called the igniter group right and uh we used all of the assets that we had created at coke and all of that ip came with it right Uh, now we've since expanded the model and expanded the intellectual property we've added behaviors we've added some attributes and values we've added some mindsets um we've enhanced tools like it's grown since where, where it was sure and in a lot of ways it was like it's like kind of getting the baby back and now offering it up to the world. Right. Yeah. To the world. I could see why you're just
1: so passionate about it. It makes total sense. All right. Three incredible stories. Yeah. You, you put them in whatever order you want. So you yeah. got a Siberian tiger. Yep. Yeah. You've got the middle of the desert mm. story. Mm-hmm. And then you got Moro- You've got the story about where you went down to Morocco, how, why you did that and the major problem yeah. that you solved there.
0: Yeah, no. So we'll um we'll start with the the famous one which you know some <laughs> people still question whether it's true or not, but we now, you know, have, we have pictures to prove it. You have it, pictures but, I saw yeah, the we pictures. Have, we have pictures to prove it. So, yeah, so we we had this um our our uh, chief creative officer at the time, a guy named Jonathan Mildenhall. Um phenomenal leader, phenomenal creative. Honestly, probably, you know, for the last decades, even up to today has made the the most impact on on the brand Coca-Cola. mm mm-hmm. Mhm he called me out of the blue. We had a relationship obviously in the, in the, inside the company, but he said, listen, we're, we're getting stale. Um, I feel like my team isn't being brave enough. Um, and, uh, we need a spark. We need, we need some igniter. Um, and would you spend a day with my team and really ignite them on what's next for creative for the Coca-Cola company? And, you know, I got back with my team and, you know, this is the tip of the spear of creativity. I mean, these are folks that have been around the world twice, talked to everybody once, yep. you know, it's, it's a group of people that, that are the ultra creatives. And the question to to me and myself, and I challenged my team was, is how do you, how do you work with a group of people like this and spark new creativity and bravery? Right. And we, uh, we connected to a story that we just love about a guy named Joe Rhodes, who um, is the chief imagineer for Disney. And he uh, ultimately launched the animal kingdom lodge. And the first presentation to the board for animal kingdom lodge got turned down. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, for all the right reasons, you know, zoos were in decline. Yeah. Zoo attendance was in decline, et cetera. Um, but Joe was so passionate about this idea that he got a second opportunity to present in front of the board and at the board meeting, you know, he brings this, you know, white Siberian tiger to the board meeting and uh, the deal was signed off that day. And, wow. you know, some would say, oh, well, people are afraid of being eaten. Right. But what Joe did is he he sparked bravery, he connected to realness and, and, you know, showed that board of directors what it was like to be that close to an animal like that. And, right. and Animal Kingdom Lodge is now the most successful, most highest revenue profit producer for the Disney organization since, you know, since the launch of Disney. Wow. So I'm like, we got, we got to find a cat. (laughs) (laughs) So amazingly, uh, we, we work with these great insight. We call them insight provocators, And what they do is they find us crazy things, find us crazy people. They help us design experiences for leaders that are just different and allow them to really kind of connect to their inner, inner source of whatever, whatever behavior that we're trying to build in inside that team. So we find this, uh, this, Six hundred pound white Siberian tiger named Dallas in Delanaga. Oh my like goodness! Forty minutes north of where we're sitting today. <laughs> and <clears throat> I, me- I remember the conversation with the guy. I called him and <clears throat> said, "Hey, we'd like to bring Dallas to a meeting. Are you able to travel with him?" He's like, "Well, this is the first time you've I've ever gotten this request, but yeah, I think I can get him down <laughs> to Coca Cola." I said, "Great, <laughs> Roger that." <laughs> hung up the phone and then the next call and my team is sitting around. We're on a squawk box in my office. My team is, I called our, our attorney that I work with oh. and, uh, I'll, his name will I'll leave out. But, uh, I said, Hey, listen any precedence on a cat coming to a meeting. And he's like, Keith, what are you like? A house cat? I'm like, no, a 600 pound white Siberian tiger cat. <laughs> Literally there was silence. Jeff, out. And he said, we didn't have this conversation. And he, he hangs up the phone. <laughs> So my my team is looking at me all defeated. Kind of their heads are down, like all oh, this idea is over. I'm like, he didn't say no, right? <laughs> he did not say no. So yeah, we um, my my team was was pretty adamant about not doing this, and I just said, no, we're doing this, and we were able to get <clears throat> Dallas down to the world of Coke. And the interesting thing was the, the, the obviously the reveal and the impact that the Tiger made with that team was, was astronomical. And it, um, it gave them the, you know, the permission for bravery and wound up, they wound up doing some amazing, amazing campaign work following that meeting. Now, that meeting itself wasn't the, you know, only driver of, of that success. But it mm-hmm. was a big point in that movement towards open happiness campaign and all the great campaigns. And, and they, they won a lot of awards out of the, the work that they did post that tiger meeting. Right. Cause it just, it gave them that kind of internal belief in themselves when they were that close to that animal. Yeah. But Jeff getting that animal into the world of Coke was hysterical. <laughs> the guy shows up in a truck and he's, and he's uh, Uh, attached to the truck is a, um, is a cage that he's just basically in a trailer Mm -hmm. and the cage is empty and it's a, it's a pickup truck with a cab, you know, like a cab pickup truck. Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, where's Dallas? He goes, Oh, he's in the cab. Can you help me get him out of the cabin into the cage? I'm like, excuse (laughs) me. He goes, yeah, yeah. We overfed him. He should be okay. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So he, he, he opens up the back of this cab and there's like this, cat i mean you know it's just you can feel its presence you can you can smell its breath i mean it's like it takes over the it's the true elvis there i mean it's like (laughs) it's insane so and it's literally hooked on both ends of the of the cab he unhooks on one and i grab the other we walk this cat down onto the street and now we've created a like a mayhem like cars are stopping people are getting out (laughs) taking pictures i mean it's it's nuts we walk this cat up into its cage lock the cage but they put the cover over the cage and, you know, we, he, it's on a roller and he rolls this right. cat right into world of Coke. <laughs> and, you know, the, the reveal was, was pretty spectacular. You know, we, I tell the story yeah. and I, I walk the team out and they unveil the cat and, and, uh, unbelievable. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty spectacular. Do you have a picture you can share with us? We'll I do. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. We'll, yeah. We'll no, we, have, we have a great, great shot to prove that we actually did it. <laughs>
1: it's unbelievable. And, uh,
0: we, yeah. And, 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 You know, it's, and and now how we use that story, Jeff, is it's not about bringing a live cat. I I wouldn't suggest anyone go out and try to find a live cat and bring it to a meeting. I think when I look back on it, it was kind of a little bit risky on our part. If that cat obviously would have gotten out, I'd probably be, you'd be doing this from a different location. Let's just say that. Um, But what it is, what it is about is what is your tiger moment? Right, you know. So every time that right. you have something big that you're trying to accomplish, a major presentation, um, you you, you want to look for those tiger moments that right. are um, just set apart the the impact of what you're trying to what you're trying to get across. Right. Um, so oftentimes with our leaders, we'll ask the question, <clears throat> "What is your tiger moment? What is your tiger moment?" All right, I'm going to ask the
1: question because I know the audience is going to want to know how much does it cost to get a tiger brought into your boardroom? C-
0: crazy! <laughs> it was twenty five hundred dollars. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean that Not was so inexpensive that, I think. yeah it was super inexpensive yeah. especially for you know for, for the budgets that we were working yeah. with to try to drive innovation and creativity that the incredible. company incredible and when he said oh yeah it was twenty five hundred dollars to you know transport them down there right and, you know i'm like yeah roger that <laughs> done right <laughs> right yeah right. the, the what only a story yeah the only the only risk was if that did get out we would have yeah, we would have had a real serious problem on our hands <laughs> <laughs> i love it yeah. great story let's yeah. move over to um your
1: choice, Morocco or the middle of the desert? Two stories I love so well, much. Well,
0: interestingly, they're both kind of connected. So it was the middle of the desert in Morocco. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll just tell the desert story. We, we, we were on a project um, in Morocco. And I just had, I, I'm a big believer when you go to markets, so I have had the privilege to travel to 42 countries um, with Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. And I can say to you with accuracy that every single country that I visited, um, we really pushed the limits of experiencing the culture. Because mm-hmm. I think far too often executives usually, and this, this, this is targeted more towards executives, but they do a lot of business travel and they fly into the airport. They take a cab or an Uber now from the airport to the hotel or the office, and then they're back to the airport. And they never truly experience the market. They never right. truly experience the landscape um, and what that market truly has to offer with both its consumers and its experiences. And one of our Igniter principles that we, we, we promote is say, listen, when, you're, when you are doing business travel, make sure you set time aside to truly experience the area. In, in a normal, in sometimes deep and maybe sometimes strange way, because you can learn sure. a lot from the consumers. You can learn a lot about where you're traveling for. So, of all the markets that I went to, I always did that. Mm-hmm. So when we were, we were flying into China, you know, we would um, you know make sure that we did this one thing that we loved to do, which was you know stay in a hotel in a kind of a small hotel, not a more recognized hotel, but a small local hotel in Shanghai. Get, grab their business card from the hotel. And every morning, get up right at the crack of dawn and go for a run. And run as far and as wide and weird as you possibly can, knowing that you're never going to find your way back. So you find a cab, you hand them the car, and they get you back. Wow. And I experienced the streets of Shanghai and what Shanghai had to offer in such a more powerful way by being intentional about that. Right. The behavior that we have is called freshness. It's the uniqueness of quality of stimulus that leaders bring into any kind of creative or business model that they have. Mm -hmm. And the harder you push freshness and experience, the more insights and better ideas that come out. Mm. So that's a big part of it. So in Morocco, um, we had a weekend that I had to really invest into Morocco. So we were based in Casablanca. So took a train to Marrakesh. So I was on, I was on the Marrakesh express um, right. sort of for the CSN guys that, uh, yeah. that are out there. Um, <laughs> And uh, took a uh, took a jeep from um, Marrakesh. Well, Marrakesh itself was incredible. The, the Grand Bazaar there is just like nuts, um, monkeys, and just like just craziness. Right. Um, so, hi- highly recommend anyone who has the opportunity to go there. They should. It's it's just a phenomenal place. But we took jeeps over the Atlas Mountains and then horseback and camel rides into the Sahara Desert. And you know, we're in an area where it's just it's desert, and you can see the mountains in the in the distance, but it's desert. And uh, we kind of come over over a hill and go into a, um, a what's called a Berber tribe. They're nomads. They're they're traveling nomads, and they just basically go from you know spot to spot to spot. And you know they have this one group and this one outfit that has access to one of the Berber tribes, and you're you can stay over and spend an evening in their tents and. I um, had the opportunity to do that. And, uh, you know, so, you know, long horseback, full day, you know, you're, you're kind of get you're getting thirsty and you're sure. driving up over the mountain. All of a sudden you see this kind of oasis of camp sets. And it's like, it's like almost like the, uh, an old Native American Indian kind of with teepees. Wow, and I mean, it's yeah. just, it's insane. And uh, get in, get off my horse, walk into where the elder tribesman is. And he hands me a Coke. Get out! Yeah, I mean, literally in the middle of the desert. Now it wasn't wasn't a wow. cold Coke; it was a warm yeah, Coke, right. but it was definitely a Coca Cola. And and then uh, they designed this really cool um, in Arabic with this outer outer kind of like model thing, this Coca Cola bottle, which I still have today. Sure, and uh, it's just a you know a keepsake that I'll yeah. keep the rest of my life. But we'll just post a, a picture of it too. Yeah, I can. I have a picture of that too. Yeah. Uh, but just an amazing, amazing story. But I, I think the 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 point is like, mm-hmm. what's the point? The mm-hmm. point is, is you. I think we get too caught in rhythms as people, right? You know, we, 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 listen to the same things. We, we watch the same types of movies. We drive the same, you know, road to work. Um, we get what we call it as our rivers of thinking, okay. um, leaders get so bogged in how things should go and how they've always done things that right. they get caught in those rivers. Right. And I think that applies to how we live our lives too. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you, you wind up having it. We're very habitual beings and it, it takes intentionality to break those habits Right? Um, because those habits can be sometimes good. They're sometimes good habits, Sure. but you know, if you get caught in your rivers of thinking is what we call it, that's yeah. when they just get really stuck and they can't really think differently about it, about a business problem. Right now there was another
1: city that you solved a major problem for. Mm-hmm. And as it relates to business, I mean, this is definitely in the top couple of, of stories yeah. I've ever heard
0: yeah, it was actually it was it wasn't that a specific project that we were in Morocco, but it was funny enough. It was actually Morocco itself it was in Casablanca. Okay, we had a um, the division president at the time had called us and and had an issue with Coca-Cola Red. It was in decline, and you know specifically around the low-income Moroccan families. And we show up on scene in classic igniter fashion. The, one of the first questions that we always ask leaders is, "When is the last time you were that close to that consumer that you're trying to?" figure out how to get to drink more or whatever you're trying to do in terms of whether you're a service provider or a brand or whatever. When's the last time you actually spent time real time with consumers? Mm-hmm. And of course the answer was no, you've you you low income Moroccan families. You're, you're not going to have a lot of interaction as, as senior leaders of a Coca-Cola company. Sure. Um, they live in different neighborhoods. It's like, you know, it's, it's complete disconnect. And I was like, well, how are how are we going to actually develop strategies when you really don't even know the consumer? Right. So he said, well, we're going to change that. So, um, over the night, I said, call your spouses, call your mates, whatever. The next three nights we're living in homes of low income Moroccan families. So we worked with a local agency in, in Morocco in uh, Casablanca, Morocco mm-hmm. and found families willing to house, Coca-Cola executives for, for consecutive nights wow. and it was all low income. So I, I literally slept on a mat for three nights in Casablanca, <laughs> but here's the power of the insight, You know, so we had a couple of orthodoxies. One was Coca-Cola was within arm's reach of everyone. Okay, And in some ways that was true, but you know, at first three, you know, first two mornings that I woke up, we went to a local sook which was about a mile walk. Mm-hmm. And that entire mile, mile, mile walk, I didn't see any Coca-Cola while during that walk. Um, mm-hmm. When I got to the souk, the Coca-Cola products, because we had, you know, the marketing organization at the time was kind of more focused on larger package sizes and bigger bulk items and things like that um, because of the, the you know, the cost per liter was cheaper. So we thought that that would be a good strategy for low income. Mm. All we didn't realize is the heaviness of the product. You're not going to have a low income Moroccan family who's shopping for the day's needs in a local souk carry that product a mile back to their homes. And Oh, by the way, their home is like a box. So there's no room for storage and they have Mm. a small little tiny refrigerator that keeps just basic essentials cold. So it, it was a complete mindset shift. And when, when the team got back from that experience, they were just transformed because they, they're like, we had, we had so many different orthodoxies going on and we just didn't realize until we actually experienced right. low income Moroccan consumers. That's when the big insights happen. And man, we find that with everything, you know, companies today are, are really set on building this idea of growth mindset. Like right. We want leaders with growth mindset. Well, growth mindset is almost near impossible to train. You have mm. to experience it. You have to put leaders through an experience that they can see the power of growth mindset versus Mm -hmm. a fixed mindset. Right? You can't just like send out materials and say, "Hey, read this," and now you're going to become a growth-minded leader. Now, right? It's all about experience, Mm -hmm. and you know everything that we do with Igniter and helping organizations build great culture is about putting their their leaders and their teams through different experiences that get to better culture, better creativity, bigger ideas. Right? Another
1: fascinating story it was a call center. I won't mention the the company yeah. name. It was a call center that mm-hmm. was given out. Um, if you came and worked yeah. there for a couple of months, take us through that.
0: Yeah. Story. So yeah, one of our major clients had an issue with, um, a really important role in their organization. It was, you know, kind of a call center type of type of function. And the problem was they were losing a lot of them. The turnover was pretty high. And, um, you know, again, it was it was fascinating. It's kind of like where well, when's the last time you actually put on a headphone and made some calls and right. you know, put your <laughs> as an executive, put yourself in their in their shoes, and mm-hmm. by putting the team through those experiences, we uncovered some things that were pretty profound. <clears throat> and putting the team and working them together through those, those experiences and looking at insight differently, some big ideas naturally came out of that. Right? Yeah. W- was it? Were they? Was it more?
1: Them doing something they weren't supposed to do, or was it they weren't trained properly, or how did it pan out?
0: Yes, the training wasn't the issue. The training was actually a really powerful thing. They 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 had some issues in terms of how they were compensating training, which I won't go into. But that was a, uh, that was a it. big insight that um, that you know by putting them through a process that uncovers insight and then turns those insights into platform ideas, and the, those platform ideas into actual. You know, launchable ideas. That process opened up a lot of insight, but the biggest insight was putting headphones on and yeah. actually working as a call center person for you know a day, right? And watching what they go through right. and some of the issues they had with technology and platforms. And you know, there was some just fascinating things that came out of that. And it always surprises me, like you know, you, you work for a company and you work for a brand and you don't really experience. How the consumer experiences. So, like, if, right. you know, if you're an executive at like Domino's Pizza, I mm-hmm. guarantee if I went to the the offices of Domino's and the executives, how many of those executives never go into stores regularly? Incredible. Like, how you can't you you have to you have to experience your consumer in a powerful way. Um, yeah. And we, and we're, oh, we're, we're always about pushing the limits. So like re- recently when you, you had called me, you had a really cool offer to go to the white house and, right. and I turned you down partly because I was in Utah at the time with right. a, um, a comp- two companies and we built their, uh, their, their brief that they had given us was, Hey, we've got this, this customer, this trade partner. We really want to build a stronger, collaborative team culture together, mm-hmm. but we also want to get to some big platform ideas on how to innovate and really transformationally innovate. Now, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll leave the names of the companies out. And we um, designed this experience in, the, in Park City, Utah, in the mountains of Utah, around horses. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting connection between how horses work with each other, work with their work with their rider, and how they signal and communicate. Mm-hmm. And we we put them on horseback and went into the Utah mountains with these executives. Wow! And most of them. He either had never ridden a horse but or you know we're just like in an arena doing kind of nose to ass ride
1: right and here we are <laughs> you
0: know saddling up and going into the Utah mountains we got within you know 50 yards of a, a bugling elk Aww. I mean it, it was just super powerful but we we then translated the the experience into these behaviors that we have to accelerate great culture and bigger ideas and man transformational impact on their relationship together but also what they created out of that was just profound, and it's a wow. it's a it's a really it's a really cool story, and I'm I'm so excited about where those ideas are going to take um, those two companies, and it's right. it's pretty powerful.
1: I can't wait to hear about the check in.
0: Yeah, when you have the net,
1: what is it in three months? Six yeah, months, we usually do it.
0: We'll do a three, six, nine month check in with them, and and oh, uh, cool. yeah, and and I, I think the the other thing too is. W- So often we get feedback that, you know, certainly the, the IP that we have with behaviors and attributes and things like that in our process certainly can get teams to better culture and bigger ideas. No doubt. Mm -hmm. It changes who you are as a person too. Um, I, I vividly remember being in at Coke and having a very senior leader come to me and say, "Hey, Keith, you know this session you put us through that we we had talked about greenhousing. How do you nurture new ideas in an organization as a leader? How do you get to the point where you can say no to something and have the, your team be as excited as if you said yes? Mm. And that's really good greenhousing." He said, "Yeah, you're going to transformationally impact the culture here, but I want to share you share a personal story with you." He said. I have a 15-year-old daughter and I'm not a greenhousing dad. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much no. Mm-hmm. And my relationship with her sucked. Yeah. So I left your session and said, yeah, I get I get it from a leadership perspective. But I'm going to apply this to my relationships and my specifically my relationship with my daughter and I started to greenhouse her more. Mm. And I started to use concepts like yes, and, and, you know, and really, un, and nurturing kind of things that she would bring to the table or want to do. And doesn't mean I said yes to everything. I mean, certainly sure. put limits, but I was a better green dad. Mm. And he said in a month, it's impacted my relationship in a positive way. And this guy wow. this is a senior executive literally has tears in his eyes um, because of the personal impact that he had around these behaviors. Yeah. And I think that's, that's my passion. Right. Like my passion is to bring this not to make the company better it's about the people that sure. circle's all the way back it's the people that make the difference and if we can make an impact on the lives of people to get them to think behave lead differently mm-hmm. that's when you know we're we're loving what we do and you know and the value of what we bring to an organization is is profound because once you get culture right yeah the sky's the limit that's incredible
1: walk us through a time where it didn't work out great mm. or there was a failure or a miscue. Yeah.
0: Um, well, yeah. One, one, one specifically in South Africa, we were, we were with a team and um, you know, we're rolling out our culture transformation work at, at specifically. It was when I was, at, when when I was at Coke and uh, you know, we kicked off the team and you know, the morning session started and you could just tell the vibe was off. Like, you know, like they weren't really engaged um, you know, the, the normal kind of interaction that we get with team members just wasn't happening. And it got to the point where, you know, we were on a break and I said to my team, I said, I, I need to call a timeout. I need to see what's going on because it's, mm-hmm. it's either us or something's going on that we're just not aware of. Yeah. So I literally got, got the session back together and I said, guys, listen, we're going to, we're not going to move forward here. I need to know what's going on or is what we're bringing to the table, not resonating. Is it just, is it not impactful? Or are you too busy? Like what's going on? And they said, no, it's pretty much the opposite. You, everything that you're saying, we love. Our boss is just an a hole, and mm. we're we feel like this is a waste of time because he is not going to. He's not going to act like this. He's right. not going to be like this. So why are we spending these multiple days learning all these new concepts that we're going to get excited about? Yeah, and then ultimately shut down by him. Wow, wow. So <clears throat> we shifted gears pretty quickly, <laughs> and you know, really kind of all right. like what's working, what's not, let's, let's, let's get some really good feedback. And then I just called him that, that evening and said, Hey, listen, dude, we got to have to, we have to have dinner. There's a major issue and sat down and gave him the feedback. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, you know, he was not overly open to the feedback, but what he did communicate, which is something really interesting is he never got the feedback. And what we're finding, Jeff, in a lot of organizations is a lot of organizations and teams really struggle with providing constructive feedback. Mm. They don't know how to. I mean, most mm-hmm. people are really comfortable giving positive feedback. Yeah. But when they, have to, when they have to address something constructively, right. they either don't. And then what happens is people that's where baggage starts to build. Yeah. And you know, you you said something to me six months ago and blah, blah, blah. And well, you you never said anything to me about it. So how am I supposed to know that right. that I heard? So right. part of our process with Igniter is we we've got some tools to help teams build better feedback loops and mechanisms in place. We call it gift, good intention feedback technique. Mm. And it really teaches executives and leaders how to properly give constructive feedback that's good intentioned. Mm-hmm. Because when you have a team that is really comfortable with giving each other constructive feedback on a regular basis, yeah. man, does it impact culture positively? And you know, that was a big learning for us is when you don't have that feedback loop, you know, these concepts are great, but if they're not supported by senior leadership, yeah. that's when that's when there fails. And we hit that a bunch of different times. Um you know, Norwegian Cruise Lines is a great example of our current client. We, we started in, in, in their finance organization and did some great work with their finance teams. And coming out of that was like, Hey, our leadership really needs to go through this. Right. And, you know, we've now since been working with the leadership team and they've bought into the behaviors and the value anchors. And it's, it's a, a truly, tr- it's going to be some transformational work for them. Right. But it, it, it often has to st- start from the top. Yeah. if you don't have a senior leader or a senior leadership group in the organization that believe in the power of culture believe in you know people as the competitive advantage it's hard to break that because people will emulate you know their leaders sure and you know if you've got a leader who's an a-hole you know you're likely going to get a team of people who act like that's
1: that that's it yeah Do you, so for you
0: was there a pivotal point
1: in your life that you would credit why your brain works the way it works? Or do you, do you, do you just
0: feel you were sort of born like that? Mm. I think some of it is, some of it is inherent, you know, like some, some leaders inherently can think outside the box more quickly than others can. Mm-hmm. I do, I do believe with passion that it is a buildable skill. Mm. So if you take these, you know, eight behaviors that we have okay. and you truly start to apply them with intention. Yeah. Um, you will see a remarkable difference in how you look at the world, how you look at creativity, how you look at your business challenges, and it'll force you to think differently and use lateral thinking tools to get to you know to better insights. Um, Edward de is a is a big believer in this. He's a he's an author on creativity, um, and he he talks about rivers of thinking. We had mentioned that you know previously in, in a couple minutes ago, and executives through experience form deep rivers. And those rivers can be very helpful with things, but they can be very hurtful when you're trying to do new things or more powerful things that are different. Okay. So you know you have to what we call river jump. Use lateral thinking techniques to get you to think differently about a business challenge. So, okay. um, recently we were um, hired by a company to help them with. Um, they, they had a, uh, it's Gildan, uh, Gildan brand. It's a okay. phenomenal shirt company. And sure. they had these incredible ESG stories that they're, they're doing around the world. The problem is they're just not telling those stories. And what's ESG? It, it's, um, uh, the environmental impact, um, okay. like, so sustainability and environmental yeah. impact. Like there's some things that we learned through this, that every Gildan shirt is made with less chemicals than any other shirt in the market. Wow. I mean, so think about what you're putting on wow. your body. Like, I didn't know that. I never so knew that. Every time now I go to a store, I, I look and see if the Gildan <laughs> label is there because <laughs> right. I'm like, like, listen, like they make, they make this product with less chemicals.
1: That's awesome. They're
0: massive supporters of, of U.S. cotton farmers, like mm. massive supporters. Supporters. I mean, they, they basically, the, the U.S. cotton farm industry is sustained through Gildan. Wow And like I'm like these these are incredible stories. So what we what we did is we looked at storytelling differently. They're like, all right, like where else in the world would 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 stories be, you know, you know impactful? or who has a deeper relationship with stories? Like one of them is a magician. Mm-hmm. You know let's 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 talk to a magician and let's understand how they look at storytelling. Um, you know, it's always looking outside of the norms to try to get to better insight. And then we translate those insights into ideas that are relevant for Gildan and the company and what they're trying to do as, a, as an organization. Mm-hmm. So it's always looking outside of your traditional areas. We call it later, um, related worlds. Right. Like where else in the world is someone dealing with this kind of similar challenge that we're dealing with, but from a very different lens. Right. Uh, let me go back in time a little bit.
1: So you were at Pfizer mm-hmm. and then you go to Coke VP of ideas yeah
0: what what did Pfizer use your brain for marketing to start okay you know, so it was, start. Yeah, it was marketing to start and then mm-hmm. when I met Jeff Semenchuk, they had mm-hmm. hired a chief innovation officer, and I was just fascinated by mm-hmm. um, this role of innovation like, like there's now a role in our company that's responsible for driving innovation mm-hmm. and Jeff introduced me to um, the processes of innovation, thinking differently. Certainly, s- we started to introduce there some of those behavioral elements of human behavior and how, when the, you get the human behavior right, it can actually lead to better insights, more creativity. Yeah. Um, how you define creativity, it's not just artistic, it's looking at things in different ways to achieve better results. So, he kind of was the formation of that, of who I am today in terms of going from a marketer who was, you know, an operator but, but on the creative side of, of marketing, um, to more of an innovator, which is really looking at businesses differently and looking at the models differently so that they get the better results. Right.
1: Did he, what did he see in you? I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. What did he see in you when Coke said, Hey, VP of ideas? Mm -hmm. Is it him that saw the, the, the innovation in you? Well,
0: no, Jeff was at Pfizer, Jeff, Jeff and Jeff was at but Pfizer. He suggested so. you went to, Kobe. no, or, you know, it's an, it's an interesting question. I, I don't know how hydrogen struggles got my name. Yeah. No idea. Okay. I, that, that's what I'm trying to yeah. hone in on. Like, and you know, hydrogen struggles is a executive search firm mm-hmm. and they are, you know, they're built to find people. You know, they yeah. they find interesting people, just like you're 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 now doing a podcast on interesting <laughs> people. Their their organization, this the Spencer Stewart's, the Hydrogen Struggles. Mm-hmm. They they are basically executive search firm talent. You know, yeah. they find talent, and somehow. They got a hold of me. I don't know. I don't think Jeff gave them my name. He yeah. may have. I mean, I, I never really asked Cause him, he honestly. didn't want you. He wouldn't have wanted you to leave. He, he was encouraging me to obviously highly consider the role. Cause it's Coke. Got it. he, and he cared more about me than he did about himself, you know? And, and that was oh, just the type awesome. of leader that he was. And yeah. I think that's one of the commonalities of every mentor that I've ever had. And I hope to be in others that you care about the person about them more than you care about yourself. And if you remarkable. if you mentor like that, mm-hmm. you've got a great relationship. That's awesome. Books,
1: favorite, recent. Do you read anything recently that's awesome? Yeah, yeah favorite.
0: Yeah. No, i I mean, I'm, I'm a voracious reader. Um, you know, I mentioned the book from strength to strength, mm-hmm. like I'm 53 years old. So like that book just spoke to me because I was, you know, launching igniter and launching the igniter group. And, you know, anytime you do something more entrepreneurial, you question, is it the right time? Is it the right, you know, sure. and just that book really affirmed, you know, my passion and and desire to now try to in some ways give back all mm-hmm. of the experiences that I've had the the you know the privilege of being and, and right. doing. And a big part of what Igniter is is just Keith kinda like all the stories and all the craziness and all the things that we've did now reapplying it and helping organizations get to that that get that as well. Another book um, I I you know read is um, I don't know. I, I it's it's interesting. I I I I am you you asked me the question and all of a sudden now everything goes blank. Um <laughs> yeah, I'm listen, I'm a big I'm a big believer in reading the Bible. I I I I take a lot of most every every morning I have a very disciplined morning routine and it starts with scripture. Yeah. You know, it starts with some level of truth. So that's a book that I you know that I'm you know constantly, you know, reading and learning and yeah. it's amazing how, you know, a verse that was you know, relevant 15 years ago becomes newly relevant today. It's, yeah. it's one of the only living, breathing, active books that, yeah. um, that's truly alive. Yeah. And, uh, it's a big part of, you know, my, my reading portfolio, no better book um, than it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No doubt. We, we would argue, right. Yeah. Well, I think it's still the best selling, most selling book in, <laughs> in the world as well. So right. You know, I think it's, uh, it's still relevant today. No doubt. It's awesome. All right. So, the next 20 years for Keith, mm. what does that look like? Yeah, and, and I, I'm in my sweet spot. You know, mm. what what we're doing today with the United Group is our is our sweet spot. We're starting to expand consultants. And, you know, I think this is something that we can certainly grow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do think that uh, we have a model that really works. I think what we do is very unique in the mm-hmm. industry. I don't think Deloitte's doing this. I don't think McKinsey's doing this. Um, some of the big kind of more consulting, you know, firms, you mm-hmm. um, the feedback that we often get from our clients is you actually put, you know, kind of boots on the ground and you get into the fight with us. Mm-hmm. And that's very different than a consultancy that just kind of gives us PowerPoint decks and strategy and, yeah. hey, you need to do this, this, and this. We, we're not that. <laughs> right. We, you know, we, we are kind of the anti-consultants. Um, we believe that your people are the power and it's our job to unleash that. Yeah. And, and put them through experiences so that we le- or unleash the creativity and the culture in them so that then they can go drive it in their organization. So it's not about igniter. It's about your people. And we, in, in, in a lot of ways we're a white label consultant, yeah. meaning we take our IP and we speak it through the lens of whatever the company that we're working with, whether it's Coke or Gildan or, or, um, or Norwegian Cruise Lines, it's through their language, not igniters. Right. Um, so I think the next 20 years is, is really, you know, building that. I think we've got a, a really powerful story. I think we've got a lot of lyrics to write yeah, um, and a lot of songs to sing with companies. I and, mean, and we're already starting to see some of um, some top hits coming out of that work. <laughs> That's and, awesome. um, you know, we're really excited about it. And I just, I, I love people, you yeah. know, and I love working with people and I sure. love, I love seeing people, you know get to different levels of thinking that you know then get to better levels of greatness yeah. and uh that's um that's something that I will do as long as I can physically do it yeah. and listen where it, where it ends who knows i mean you know we could we could just continue to grow this and it continues you know continues yeah. on way past me sure. i do have a passion for this organization being more than just keith Um, I think there's a, I think there's a global story that's powerful and I think we can make an impact in a lot of different sectors. I I look at our client base today and it's, it's very cross sector. Mm -hmm. We're working with food companies, we're working with entertainment, we're working with, um, service providers, we're working with technology, work with banks. We like, so it's, it's very, it's very, um, ubiquitous in terms of our clients. Right. You know, there's not a specific area that we're focusing on, but it's again, the commonality of all of those businesses is that it's, there are companies that believe that people are the most important asset. Yeah. And our job is to try to help them unleash that asset in a more powerful way in the organization. That's incredible. All right, let's end on this. So, um,
1: 25 to 35, getting your career started. What would Keith advise to that age group?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's interesting. I, there's a, I saw a model once that looked at kind of like this passion profession and then, you know, opportunity kind of matrix. And, you know, the center sweet spot was where you, where you should really focus your attention on. And I, I have some power and belief in that. I think, it, I think passion is a really important part of profession. Like if, you know, I saw, I saw a study recently, I think Deloitte may have done it, one of, their, one of their divisions, that only 13% of the U.S. workforce would consider themselves passionate about their role. Wow. And, and that just, like, it breaks my heart, 13. honestly. 13%. 13 are passionate about their jobs. And in reality, and knowing that passion, like I would take passion over intellect mm-hmm. every single mm-hmm. day. I I want to surround myself with people who are passionate about my brand, passionate about our, about what we do passionate about the, you know, making a culture impact. Like if you, if you have someone and if you have a leader, that's truly passionate about what they want and what Mm -hmm. they're doing, I think that um, you're going to see great results. So, you know, I, I would, you know, advise any young leader to not just take a job, find something, an industry, a role that they wake up on a Monday morning and, it's always going to be work. You know, there's mm-hmm. aspects of my current situation that I'm like, yeah, you know, tra- the travel's not the best, you know, being right. away from Jennifer and, and like, it's, there's aspects of any job that you have that are going to suck. Sure. But if you're passionate about what you do, yeah, it makes Monday mornings a lot easier. So I, I would definitely, you know, assess when you're about to say yes to a role, is this something mm-hmm. that I could be really passionate about? Yeah. And if it's not, then find something else. It's awesome. Incredible. Great advice. Well,
1: I'll say bottom of my heart. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. always a good time to be with you. I mean, always a good time. This was incredible. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Keith Wilmot, and I'm sure you've seen in 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 this interview, so much more than just a successful businessman. There's so much more, and you can hear it in his voice. Loves people. You can just feel his passion. I mean, just a great great guy so uh if you want to check them out uh it's
0: igniter agency and keith are you on instagram or anywhere else that yep. they can yeah so with igniter you? agency is on insta it's on linkedin uh, igniter agency com or the igniter group igniter spelled i-g-n-i-t-o-r okay and um yeah we're we're on every media channel and what we put content out regularly that kind of gives an idea of what we do and how we do it and yeah certainly reach out to us we're um Awesome. we're open for business. Awesome, thanks a lot, All Keith. Right, thank Appreciate you. it.